So if there's one word that I could use for today's conversation with Simon Plout, it would be detoxification. It was a lovely conversation to have. She's an adorable lady, highly knowledgeable and really curious, somebody who has asked a lot of questions all through her life. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm Sally Garozzo and welcome to the Menopause Mindset Podcast. This is the place to be to get some answers and to feel supported along this very bumpy journey. It's my mission to help perimenopausal women go from feeling anxious, alone and confused to feeling positive, informed and connected. So even though you might be at your wits end right now, your menopause has the power to be so transformative that it can actually turn out to be one of the best times in your life. But did you know that menopause education is not just for the over 50s? The sooner we learn about it, the better. So please share this podcast with your 35 plus year old friends. I'm Sally Garozzo and I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, a singing teacher and a perimenopause coach. And I cannot wait for you to get stuck into this episode. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey and let's get started. So my guest today is a very special and highly knowledgeable lady who I first came across when she did an inspiring talk for us in Brighton about the effects of blood sugar and how to reduce it, which I thought was excellent. She spoke about everything from how you're more prone to accidents after you've eaten something with a high sugar content to why having gut health is great for your immune system. After um, a first career in the NHS, she moved into radiation safety and management, then health and safety, achieving notoriety as a forward thinker. However, after seeing the huge impact of health habits and diet on outcomes, she retrained as a nutritionalist and a naturopath. And she now weaves the three together to create a whole new profession as a longevity practitioner. Please welcome Simone Plout. So Simone, thank you for taking the time out to join us. It's a real pleasure to have you back. You are such an inspiration. You know so much. So before we dive in um, to all the, the hormone stuff, I'm sure our listeners will want to know who you are and what it is that you do. Surely. Well, um, as you've, you've already said, and thank you for that lovely, warm welcome. I really remember the event in Brighton. That was such fun and uh, such a, an audience of incredible people, uh, mainly women, but it, it was a mixed audience and it was a fabulous, enthusiastic. The questions really challenged me. So I, I found it hugely inspiring. So I'm, I'm one of these people who um, challenges everything I hear, everything I see, everything that we're told, and I want to work out how they fit together. And so starting off in, in diagnostic radiography um, gave me uh, a really wide idea of how the human body worked and how medicine worked in terms of how it diagnosed what was going on in people's bodies. Um, I was in the early days of the MRI scanner and uh, um, DEXA scanning was something which is the, the osteoporosis scanning. Um, the person who, who developed and invented it was somebody I work with very closely. Um, so, you know, I've seen the way medicine has evolved and it's been fascinating. Um, but I, I could see that people in the conventional medicine world, we were doing diagnosis, we were doing treatment, but people were... Once they got into the, the, the sickness world, um, they would be managed, their health um, issues would be managed really well, but they weren't ever seeing a cure in most cases. I mean, there are obviously some things where people are cured and they get better and then they go off and, and they're cured. But a lot of the health issues we have, people are treated, they are not cured. And so it's, I started questioning, why is this happening and what more could we be doing? And what I also discovered was a lot of the things that were going on in people's health issues, there were countries around the world where people were getting much better outcomes. So what is the difference? In Japan, they hardly know what the menopause is. What is the difference? Why is that happening in Japan and not happening here? But there are some major differences between the UK and Japan. Obviously, you know, the Japanese people are a a, a different um, 
uh, ethnic group. But actually what's so interesting is people from Japan who go and live, say, in America or in Australia do not see the benefits that they were enjoying as Japanese living on mainland Japan as they see when they move to other countries and start living the US lifestyle or the European or the Australian lifestyle. So there's clearly something about the way people live in their own country. And so I've, I've done a lot of research. I've actually spent, I spent six weeks in Japan four years ago as part of the research I was doing for my practice and also for the book that I've recently written. So I was looking to see what's going on there and, and how they live differently. And that was being really, really interesting for me. Um, just as a, a really amusing um, point, I was at a, a, a temple, which is incredibly challenging. I mean, the steps you have to walk up uh, it's almost like mountaineering to get up these steps. You needed poles, you needed mountaineering boots, you needed, you know, so you had to be very, very fit to get up these stairs. And there was me struggling. I'm a very fit woman, but I was struggling up these steps. There was a woman in a miniskirt, in high heels. This was a woman in her 70s, ran up these stairs in front of me. And I was like, this cannot be happening. Amazing. And I got into a conversation with her. She spoke reasonable English said, oh, I do this every day because I don't want to get old. Wow. And so that is the attitude. I'm nearly 62. Yeah, you're doing really well, aren't you, yourself? You're, you do um, athletics, is that right? Well, I, I run, um, I cycle and I kickbox. Um, I work out with a personal trainer every week. I mean, at the moment, we're doing it on Zoom, which is working amazingly well. I would never have told you that. If, it, if you know you'd come up with that idea but that's working really really well um and yes i run or cycle every day because um keeping fit's important to me i want to have the vitality um that i've enjoyed in my younger years tell us about your menopause journey because from what i understand you have really been through you've been through some ill health yourself is that right uh, yeah, I had very, very poor, uh, uh, my menstrual health was a disaster. From the age of 11, I had terrible period pains. And in fact, um, as a young girl, I had um, the GP out, I had pethidine injections, and I was actually put on the pill aged 11, um, which is a shocking thing to have to do to a young woman, uh, because um, I had excruciating um pain I mean I was literally doubled over I was hemorrhaging and it was it was really ghastly so um, I've been through the mill with my menstrual um, and reproductive health um, and then so I was on the pill from the age of, of 11 and a half um, and I to my shame uh, because I didn't enjoy my periods because of the, the problems I was having I used to carry one period onto the other um, quite often. So I didn't, um, I didn't have the, you know, I didn't stop my pills and, and have a menstrual bleed. I was, you know, I just thought, oh, well, this is not going to cause me any harm. Ha ha. Mm. And I, I did that. That was a big, big mistake mm. because uh, when I came to have my first child and I was, um, I was 24 when I had my first child and she's a fabulous young woman. I'm very, very proud of her. She's in her late thirties now, um, married and a very successful young woman. Um, but, uh, after she was born, I had very, very severe case of postnatal depression. And what I discovered in my, um, investigation, cause I was determined not to have that happen to me again for the second child was that because or one of the, the, the things, because I had been on the pill for such a long time, but also because I had um, not interrupted and that was going against what I was advised to do, but it actually was very um, educational because I had basically suppressed my hormones. Um, when it came to recovering from the uh, hormone changes that happened during pregnancy, uh, my hormones did not recover. They didn't spring back as quickly and as, as well as they would normally do. And so I was actually a prime candidate for postnatal depression and I had it very, very severely. Um, and um, I ended up having to be hospitalized and um, went through a lot of trauma as a result. Um, That's because you hadn't really let your body do its natural thing. Exactly. But mm. of course, if you think about it, the contraceptive pill 
is actually a form of, you know, it's suppressing ovulation. Yeah. It's not preventing conception. It is actually preventing ovulation. Which is a very and natural it, function. Of which the, is a natural function. I mean, just on an aside, which is, um, uh, I hope it's okay to talk about this, yeah. but um, the young women who work in lap dancing clubs who are on the contraceptive pill apparently don't get as big tips as the ones who are not on the contraceptive pill because there is, of course, a, a lot of sexual attraction is about uh, fertility. Yeah. And, and women who are, and ovulation. So if a woman is not fertile, she's not producing the pheromones mm. and the energy of a fertile woman. And so the women who are not on the contraceptive pill, perhaps they're using some other method of contraception or they're not sexually active, those women tend to get much bigger tips. So there is a way in which the men, their clients are picking up that they are dealing with a fertile rather than a woman who has suppressed her fertility. Very, very interesting. Uh, artificially. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Fascinating. So it's a fascinating, sorry, I'm full of... Um, I'm full of these interesting um, bits of, uh, I have a, a lap dancing clubs are very close to my heart because yeah. um, my late father, um, he didn't run a lap dancing club. I don't want you to think that that was the case, but he actually uh, owned a commercial property, which he gifted to the um, a religious uh, a community that he felt very strongly about, but he had the most phenomenal sense of humor so he left this lap dancing club to the local synagogue for educational purposes. Oh, that's fantastic. And so I bet that was really a, did educate them as well. <laughs> well, it, it's actually used for um, it's an educational foundation which funds um, uh, uh, children's Sunday school classes and, and other initiatives. So, but it was a, his his will was worded in that manner, which was uh, very amusing. But um, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know this is so um, well, I went through this to, let's get back yeah to talking about what because I saw a photograph of you on your website and well there were three photos actually two of you looking really beautiful not that the other one wasn't but the other one your face was very very puffy so what was going uh, on with you at that time um, it wasn't puffy I was actually uh, extremely overweight oh, okay. um, I in my younger days I struggled with my weight I struggled with um, partly with an eating disorder, which was um, emotional eating, but a lot of it was down to food addiction because there were certain foods I was eating that were, I couldn't stop eating them. So if I had a little bit, I, you know, I'd be eating more and more and more of it. And that is something which is a major factor in menopause problems. Mm. Um, so I'm glad you brought up that subject because um, high sugar levels um, and high insulin levels, which will be triggered by high sugar levels. And it's not just eating sugar that will do that. It's also a matter of um, eating high glycemic index foods like um, mashed potato is even higher than sugar in terms of glycemic index and impact on the um, uh, insulin production. Mm. High insulin production has a number of major, major problems for our physiology. Yeah. And we are not designed to have high insulin levels. We're designed to have low insulin levels. And if we eat foods that bring our insulin levels up, there are a host of health problems. Mm. And for the menopause, your hormones do not function properly if you're dealing with high insulin levels. Mm. So that is a, uh, a major cause. Um, and the other problem you've got is that one of our major detox routes, which we need during the menopause, is our liver. Mm. The liver is an absolute powerhouse of mm. detoxification. Um, there's a very interesting experiment that's done in O-level biology courses where they take a little piece of pig's liver or ox liver or something on the end of a piece of thread and they put this piece of liver into a, um, a container of hydrogen peroxide. Now hydrogen peroxide, many people use it in the bathroom, it's a good antiseptic, 
it bubbles when you you can use just a mouthwash it's great there's a throat gargle it's and it's very inexpensive you buy it from the pharmacy one pound fifty a bottle or something but this experiment you stick your piece of liver in in the hydrogen peroxide and it fizzes and bubbles away like you've never seen and this was really interesting to me now i asked my teacher why have we got this enzyme there's clearly an enzyme which actually breaks down the hydrogen peroxide. Why have we got that in our liver? I mean, what has our bathroom cabinet got to do with the liver? And uh, I remember at the time my, my school teacher was a bit surprised at the question, um, but couldn't answer it. So being me, I'm afraid I've got an inquiring mind. Why is this? And I looked it up in books and I couldn't find it. And nowhere. And, and the textbooks that, that, that went through this experiment didn't cover it either. So me being me, I, I lived in Oxford. I grew up in Oxford, um, university, academic. Um, and so I went to the telephone book. We had telephone books in those days. And I looked up Hans Krebs. Now you may have heard of him, the Krebs cycle. Oh it's, yes. Yes. Okay. So I looked up, I found Hans Krebs in the phone book and I phoned him up and I asked him, and of course he knew because he was a Nobel Prize winner and he knew everything. And he told me the reason we have hydrogen peroxide in the liver is because it is the detoxification powerhouse of the whole body. And that is the place where we take toxic material and we fix it. Mm. And then it is broken down in a way that we can then get rid of it. And the way we get rid of it is using bile, which is the emulsifying material that sits in your gallbladder and then it's sprayed all over your food and then ends up in your fecal matter, which comes out the end of the day. Mm. So the liver is a, a huge um, factory producing lots of detoxification uh, enzymes and um, lots of cells, which, which do an awful lot of cleaning up and all the blood goes through the liver, toxins are removed, and it then gets um, emptied out in the bile um, and out through the detoxification pathway. There are other pathways as well, it goes through the blood, but you can't have toxic stuff throwing, flowing through the blood because it'll damage the, the blood vessels. So the liver does that work. But if you are overweight because you are eating too much high glycemic index food, you're eating too much food, you're eating food that your body can't cope with, your liver will get clogged up with fat. And you may have heard of a condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Yeah. Now we've also got cirrhosis of the liver, which is alcoholic liver disease, but non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is, you know, when we get a bit thick round the middle, and we get a little bit, you know, we get that bit of a muffin top. You mm. can guarantee that it's not just fat round your belly. Yeah. This is your liver that is swollen because it is full of fat. Mm. Now, um, for the vegetarians amongst us, I don't want to offend you, but I don't know if anybody knows how they make foie gras, which is something that's considered terribly cruel. They take these poor geese. I don't like geese, but anyway, they, I was terrorized by geese at the duck pond as a little girl. But anyway, that's another story. So they take these, these geese and they force feed them corn. Yeah. Now, I love corn. I like popcorn. But, you know, there's a limit to how much corn I want to eat. Force fed it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be force fed it, but they force feed the, the, uh, the geese corn which actually gives the corn, the, the, sorry, the, the, the geese end up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And that is a great delicacy. Yeah. People who, those of us, and I say us because it has been me, who have, allow our livers to get clogged up with fat, and this can happen from eating too much fruit. If you eat too much fructose, and one of the fast track ways of eating too much fructose is, is orange juice. We think of it as a, as a health food. I'm yeah. sorry, guys, this is not a health food. Oranges are health food. Lemons are health food. Mm. Orange juice in whole glasses. There's six oranges in a glass of orange juice. That is not a natural number of oranges to eat in one sitting. And yet we're eating. And fructose will conjugate and make cholesterol and it will clog up your liver. 
so we need to be really careful about because if your liver's clogged with fat it's not going to be working in the way it was designed to work mm. and this is what is causing some of the symptoms for menopause you don't have the ability to, to detox. detox properly you've clogged your liver up unfortunately with fat yeah. it's not doing its job and then those toxins are sitting around in your body and causing you all kinds of of issues well, there are good fats and bad fats true there are but there's also quantity right you know, if we're eating too much fat we're asking for trouble now yes there are good fats and bad fats mm. my breakfast every morning i have half a tablespoon of hemp seed or hemp hearts is something people call them. it's basically shelled hemp seed but hemp hearts is a lovely way to describe them they're a really good source of omega-3 fatty acids yeah we need omega-3 fatty acids. Most of us are not eating enough. Other sources of omega-3 fatty acids are things like linseed, uh, fatty oily fish like mackerel, which mm. is an inexpensive oily fish, which is when I've got some smoked mackerel in my refrigerator, which I bought at the farmer's market um, on uh, Saturday morning. Um, so that's something I try and eat regularly. Um, wild salmon. The farmed salmon does not have high omega-3, but wild salmon does. Yeah. Um, but um, So good fats are things like that. Also nuts, but not roasted nuts. Have them raw, okay. raw nuts, because roasted nuts, you change the... Um, there is a way in which the fats are, can be damaged. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the oils we use in our cooking, unfortunately, are not that good for us. So sunflower, sunflower seeds are fantastic. Yes. Sunflower oil is mm -hmm. highly processed and it's not, I mean, you can get cold pressed sunflower oil, but yeah. it will go rancid very quickly. So it's one of these oils that unless it's highly processed, it's not going to last very well. Yeah, they did sunflower oil denatures quite quickly, yes. it, I believe. And the, the, once something goes rancid, it's not good. Once something it. goes rancid, it becomes a, Toxic. it's full of re, re, free radicals, yeah. which then gives your liver more work to do because it's then, you're not dealing with a, um, a nutrient, you're dealing with a, um, an oxidized toxic substance, which is then inflammatory it causes inflammation in the body and it's not going to be doing you any good so, so we need oils but not too much of them yeah. um i limit my oils to two or three tablespoons a day of oil i don't have a huge amount i mean there would be oil in my food but as far as added oil goes i keep it very very limited i'm very very cautious with the amount of oil i use hi it's sally here please excuse the interruption I wanted to let you know about Rapid Transformational Therapy. Many of my clients come to me for this powerful two-hour process, which is done under hypnosis for things like addictions, sleep problems, anxiety, depression, stress, burnout, relationship problems, weight loss, fears, phobias, lack of confidence, OCD, body dysmorphia, and even infertility. I've had success with people from all walks of life, and I want to offer you that same kind of transformation if you're struggling too. RTT is incredibly powerful because it accesses the power of the subconscious mind, which talking therapy doesn't. It goes straight to the emotions and overrides logic, and this is where the magic happens. But it doesn't stop there. As part of your treatment, I give you a professional and personal 20-minute hypnosis recording for you to listen to for 30 days after your treatment to really wire in the changes. I don't use generic scripts. Every word is taken directly from our consultation and RTT session. I also provide you with 30 days support via WhatsApp, which means you can ask me questions and get answers in real time. Along with the RTT, I give you two coaching calls to help you reflect on the changes you've made and to give you some extra strategies to help with your continued development. RTT is a growing world-class treatment which is changing the face of therapy because it's rapid and rooted in the science of neuroplasticity. So why work with me? Number one, I'm totally invested in your results. Your wins are my wins, so I go above and beyond to make sure that you get the transformation you require. Number two, it's all about the voice. Many of my clients say how much they like my voice, which is so important in hypnotherapy. 
and that's because I know how to use it because I've been a voice coach for 20 years. Number three, not all RTTs are the same. I became an RTT therapist in 2017 and I've honed and honed my skills and my package to make sure that you get the best. Number four, my RTT packages are affordable, accessible and highly transformational. So if you're struggling with an issue and want to see if RTT can help you, go ahead and book in for a consultation. Just visit sallygarozzo.com slash contact. It's very good advice you're giving us there, um, Simon. Thank you so much. And there was something that we spoke about before we went live about the menstrual flow and detoxification. Do you want to speak to that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the men, the, when you go through the menopause, I mean, for those of you who haven't yet got there and perhaps are a little bit worried about it, this is a gradual, um, your, your periods become uh, lighter. Um, your periods then will become, you won't have one every month. You'll have them instead of being, and then this varies from person to person. Sometimes instead of having a regular every single month, you'll skip a month or you'll have a very light period and then a normal period. Some people have a light period, then nothing for three or four months, and then an incredibly heavy period. And it's, it starts to be like, oh, my menstrual cycle's gone up the creek. Well, no, what's happening is that it's no longer as regular as it was because your hormone levels are beginning to tail off, which is a normal part of maturing into um, the postmenopausal um the, the, the new life that you'll have. Mm. But one of the things that we need to be really mindful of is that the menstrual flow is actually a detoxification route. It is a route through which um, toxic substances are released from the body in a way that um, allows them to uh, um, just pass away, pass out of, of the body. Um, but when we stop menstruating, we are now losing that detoxification route and we are ever more reliant upon our liver and our kidneys and our skin to, 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 to remove those, um, those toxins from our bodies. Of course, breathing out, you know, you, you, you lose carbon dioxide, but there are also uh, toxic substances that can come out in your breath, but there's much more limit, you know, much smaller limit. Um, there are very few things that can come out as a, as a gaseous vapor. Uh, out through your breath so it's mainly the skin it's the um uh the liver and the kidneys and we need to make sure so to make sure your kidneys can do their job properly you need to be drinking plenty of water i'm very religious two liters a day absolutely without fail when i get up in the morning one of the first things i do is i run my two liter bottles glass bottles of water i don't personally use plastic bottles i don't like them i don't trust what things can come out of them um, into the water I'm drinking. So I use filtered tap water. I don't really buy bottled water at all. I use filtered tap water. Mm. Um, so I have my two liters and that's something that's helping my kidneys to work. When you go to the bathroom, people, if the, the urine that's coming out isn't very, very pale yellow, then you've got a problem. You're not giving your kidneys what they need to help keep your body clean. Yeah. Um, with your liver, you know, if you are carrying extra weight around, and believe me, I have been on that journey. I wear a size eight jeans today. I spent a lot of my life in a size 22 jeans. Wow. And I know how tough that journey is. So if anybody wants to talk to me, I will happily um, have a private conversation with you and put you on the right track. I'm not talking about having a conversation with me about working with me professionally. I can give you lots of pointers about where you can go and how you can, if you want to work with me, I'm available. But if you want to have a, a, a chat to me about where else you can go, um, there are plenty of routes which are for people on a tight budget that do not involve any kind of financial outlay. So there's, there's lots of opportunity uh, yeah, to help manage that. I wanted to um, get you to speak about what you did. I know we were supposed to talk about that right at the very beginning. And I know you spoke about your past, but we never actually spoke about what it is you do right now. And I know you've got this 
book coming out called How to Die Young at an Old Age. Uh, yeah, I've, I've actually changed the title because Have I you? think that, I yeah, <laughs> I've called it Ever Young, a health empowerment manual for women. Because there's, I've, I've been pondering this idea of longevity and when I see women, a lot of women come to me and they ask me, you know, how, how can I reduce my brain fog? How can I reduce my hot flushes? How can I stop these headaches? Um, how can I make my periods better? And that's all well and good. But I think we need to be asking bigger questions, not just how can I reduce my symptoms, but how can I improve my longevity? How can I okay. avoid diabetes and heart disease and stroke? And I think this is what you're pointing to. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay, so our bodies in many, many ways are like a fishbowl. You know, if you overfeed the fish in the fishbowl and you don't clean out the water and you don't, you know, filter out all the muck and you don't clean the algae, that fish are going to come down one morning and the fish is going to be lying on its back, either dead or dying. And that's exactly what we are doing to our bodies. Mm. We're not cleaning them out. We're overfeeding the fish and we end up making ourselves very, very unwell. And worse still, we're often putting the wrong type of fish food in the fish bowl in the first place. Mm. And that's the big problem. You know, our bodies can cope with an awful lot. They're an amazing piece of equipment, mm. but we have one major problem on our hands. Well, several, but you know, that was even before the pandemic. One of the major problems we've got on our hands at the moment is that the food supply that we are eating, the food that we are buying in the supermarkets, largely is designed to be as delicious as possible. It is designed to be addictive mm. because that makes sure we eat lots of it. Mm. And that is good for the bottom line of the companies who manufacture it. But if you don't mind just eating so it tastes good as it goes into your mouth, that's fine. But if you want to eat so that you're going to be healthy, you're going to have a really clear mind, a really uh, healthy body, a strong body, a good immune system to help you um, stay resilient in these, this day of uh, COVID-19 and all the other um, bugs that we're facing as we um, move forward through the 21st century, we need to get clever. Mm. And our immune system, keeping our immune system in good nick is absolutely vital. Mm. But there's no point in having an immune system if you're literally living, you're, you've made your fish live in a dirty fish bowl mm. uh, and you, you're overfeeding the fish. I mean, how do you expect the fish to be, you know, thinking clearly and operating well? I mean, other things you can do, another detox route, I mentioned the skin. A great yeah. way to detox through the skin is either having a hot bath, um, which will enable you to um, sweating. So exercise is sweating, but for people who perhaps have got knee trouble or they're not used to exercising, doing exercise that makes you work up a sweat is not necessarily a great idea, but having a hot bath, and please be careful those of you who've got high blood pressure, because that's not a good idea to go in a hot bath if you've got high blood pressure. Mm. But for, for those who don't have high blood pressure, a hot bath helps you sweat and it enables you to remove um, a lot of toxins, heavy metals, for example, will come out in your sweat uh, if you go into a hot bath. And a great way to make your hot bath even more effective as a detox is to use Epsom salts in the bath. So that's another thing you can do. Yeah. And that's a really good, um, or a sauna, but I don't think we're, any of us are going near saunas at the moment, unless you're lucky enough to have one in your, your own home. Mm. We're, not, we're not going in public saunas at the moment. They're, they're just off limits mm. um, because of the... Uh, the pandemic so that's not something i could recommend because it's not going to be open yeah um yeah it's very very interesting and i am wondering in in your case what was the turning point for you when did you go oh i can't take this anymore enough is enough i need to do something about my health i've got to change what was it yeah. that made you change okay that's a really, really good question and a very, very interesting one. I had been living in Spain. I went to live in Madrid for um, just over a year. I, I had an opportunity to go and live there. And um, uh, I came back from Spain and I had terrible trouble with my knees and terrible trouble with my back. 
I was literally crippled with knee and back problems. And when I look back on it now, I realized that because I had become so overweight, um, you know, it had been a gradual process. I'd been, I'd not been very happy living in Spain. Um, I'd been in a relationship that, that was going downhill in a very rapid manner. And um, I was comfort eating to um, cope with the, you know, the isolation and the, um, you know, being away from friends and family and away from my lovely home. And, you know, the whole, I felt everything that, that normally kept me grounded was not available to me. So, of course, you know, the, the, the COVID crisis is, is doing that to all of us. I know lots of people are struggling with, with weight gain at the moment because yeah. so many of the things that we rely on to support ourselves emotionally are being taken away yeah. um, for our own good, obviously, but um, they're being taken away. So um, I, I was overeating, uh, my weight ballooned, um, and then I started suffering these terrible knee and back problems. Well, what I realized looking back was that my center of gravity, because my tummy had got really, really big, my center of gravity had shifted. So I was actually leaning forward to cope with the fact that I had all this big tummy on the front. And it put um, huge pressure on my knee joints because mm. my center of gravity had shifted forward. So I was putting a lot of pressure on the front of my knee joints. I started getting terrible pain. So I was actually fine walking upstairs but when I came to walk downstairs my knees were in agony mm. and that was because you know that the leverage on the front of my knee joints was being exacerbated by the extra weight I was carrying around on the front of my tummy um, and so I had terrible knee trouble terrible back problems I was walking with a walking stick I was in agony my GP said you've got high blood pressure I need to put you on medication and I think you're going to be you know, you're borderline diabetic, we're going to have to start giving you drugs for that. And I thought that is it. Yeah, this is not good. And my own mother, sadly, had passed away very young from heart disease, because she'd also struggled with her weight. And I realized that I was heading the same way. And my days were numbered if I did not get my act together. So, so did you I decided, then learn about nutrition after that or had you already? Well, this is, this is a very interesting story. I had started studying nutrition. I'd, I'd done a, um, a postgraduate diploma in um, naturopathy and I started that. I qualified in 2004 and I, was, um, I started then studying homeopathy, but I realized that homeopathy wasn't what I wanted to do and I was going to do nutrition. But the college where I was studying nutrition I didn't really like the, the syllabus and I found another course um, on nutrition and I actually went to do that. And I finished the nutrition course in 2009, just before I went off to live in Spain. Um, so I'd finished my, my master's uh, dissertation and then I went off, off to live in Spain. So I had the knowledge. It's mm. just that because I had, and this was unfortunately one of the subjects that wasn't covered on, on my nutrition or my naturopathy course was food addiction and the mm. addictive impact of certain foods. And so I wasn't aware of why every time I'd wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm determined to have a good day with my eating today. What I didn't realize was that some of the foods I was eating were so addictive. It was like I was really a cocaine addict. And I was actually reaching for my drug of choice yeah. without realizing that's what I was doing. So what did you do to change that? Because that's an emotional thing, isn't it? It is an emotional thing. Well, I um, initially, I went on uh, fasting. I went on uh, elimination diets. But the problem was that some of the addictive foods, when I reintroduced them, they were... Um, they weren't like instant uh, addiction, addictive foods. They were like, I could have a little bit, but if I had a, a larger quantity, then I'd be in trouble because uh, food addiction can be very, very subtle. That yeah. You're okay with a small quantity, but a larger quantity is, um, takes you over a certain sort of invisible threshold that then will, will trigger um, sort of... Uh, um, 
involuntary um, behaviors. Inflammatory response and things like that. It's an inflammatory response and it seems to be a brain inflammation. I mean, you know, we see it. It's really obvious with people who are alcoholics. Alcoholics, tragically, are people who perhaps if they have a little bit of alcohol, but if they have more than a little bit and they don't know where that little limit is, then suddenly, you know, they can't stop and they're, before they know it, they're comatose on the floor or they're, you know, doing something really, really uh, um, troublesome. Mm. And this is, uh, you know, and the only way they can manage it is to literally not drink at all. I mean, I know people in the uh, alcohol recovery world who can't even have, um, you know, they they have to be really careful if there's wine in, in, in the casserole because if it hasn't all evaporated away it can then trigger them into relapse so it is of that nature of sensitivity and Mm. as i gradually um i also got involved in the overeaters anonymous um 12-step recovery world which is a phenomenal movement Mm. and something that um i think you know the very uh terminology of overeaters anonymous sounds so um it sounds so uh distasteful for many people that they don't like like alcoholic the word alcoholic sounds very distasteful to many people they don't want to go anywhere near it Mm. but i would just say be an open-minded person Mm. don't don't reject what might be very very helpful to you Mm. so i think these are are valuable learning um pathways that can hugely benefit people and um, that there is knowledge to be had that can really uh, help. I think the most important thing from my point of view is about being curious and about remaining open. Yeah, remaining open. Yeah. yeah, That word curiosity for me and always asking questions and delving deeper. And I think that's why I've called the work that I do the menopause mindset because Mm. the, the nutritional information is easy to get hold of and a lot of us know what we should be doing a lot of us know we shouldn't be eating sugar and we know that we should be increasing our water etc but we find it very very difficult to do it and i think that you have made that point yourself where you were addicted you were and, and yeah. it and it was emotional and you had to go to the the root of the emotion really and and for yeah. you that was overeaters anonymous but combine combining that with your knowledge of food and your knowledge of all the studies that you've read about um, and where our food comes from it's an it's such a powerful combination well i think the um you know when we're asked or, or advised to do something and we don't have a full idea of the why we're doing it then we are not going to do it Mm. Um, I remember um, one of my girlfriends coming to see me with a um, a sexual challenge that um, she was finding that her her sex life was not working very well for her it wasn't very enjoyable um, and uh, she was having difficulty um, with her reaching climax and I said to her look I would suggest to you that you start really doing your pelvic floor exercises because those are the muscles that are involved and uh, it will benefit you in every possible way. And so, you know, and I I went through how to do pelvic floor exercises and they're really good for for menstrual cramps, by the way. Pelvic floor exercises, you're basically massaging your uterus if you're doing those. Not to mention the fact that you're strengthening all the muscles that stop you having leakage when you when you cough and and, and laugh and and, and sneeze mm. so there, there are huge benefits to keeping those pelvic floor um, muscles in good nick so she went off she phoned me a few weeks later she said you know you were absolutely right really sorted everything out but she said but you know the most extraordinary thing i was due to have my prolapsed uterus repaired and i went to see the gynecologist and he said, you don't need this. Wow. It's, it's fixed itself. What did you do? And she said, oh, I've been doing pelvic floors. Oh, he said, I used to tell my patients to do that, but they never did them. So I stopped bothering to yeah. tell them. 
if he had told them that they might actually benefit in the bedroom, I think they would have started doing them religiously like yeah. I do <laughs> and you do. And I hope everybody who's listening to this starts doing them yeah. because those muscles are very important for many, many things. Yeah. And if you're doing pelvic floor exercises, when you exercise muscles, like the muscles you use when you run or you walk upstairs or you do anything, when you use muscles, those muscles become stronger. When muscles become stronger, they need more blood supply. When they need more blood supply, you bring blood to those muscles and you take blood away from those muscles. So you improve detoxification. And where do many, many women get problems in later life? They get fibroids, they get uterine, all kinds of endometriosis. Things. Endometriosis. I'm, you know, endometriosis is a horrible condition. And please don't think I'm in any way uh, belittling or, or um, minimizing that one because that has a whole range of, of, of causation. Mm. But there's a lot we can do to help by doing these exercises, they can help. And, if, and your partner, for, for the, the, the men folk back, back home, they can reduce their risk of uh, prostate problems by doing pelvic floor exercises, not to mention their benefits in the bedroom. So, mm. you know, we all need to be doing them. This is not just something that the women ought to be doing. Mm. Um, by the way, go on. Sorry, uh, one of the really good foods to eat for. Um, that part of the body is actually pumpkin seeds. And funnily enough, pumpkin seeds are really good for male sexual health mm -hmm. as well as female sexual health, but they're also a phenomenal source of zinc, which is one of the really good immune boosting yeah. um, minerals that we're all, unfortunately, many of us are short of. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued actually, I've heard one of the early COVID symptoms is losing the sense of taste and smell. And as a nutritionist, I know that uh, one of the symptoms of low zinc is losing the sense of taste and smell. So I'm wondering whether that isn't just a symptom of the body putting up a brave fight, um, running out of zinc, and then we're finding ourselves short of it. And then it goes, ah, oh, run out. Sorry. Sounds plausible, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I spoke to uh, one of my neighbor's sons, obviously from two meters, the other end of the garden path, but he'd recently had uh, covid um, at university up in um, uh, uh, up in Scotland somewhere, and he was saying that his um, sense of taste and smell came back as soon as he got over the the virus. Yeah. Which, had it been neurological damage, it can take between a year and two years for nerves to grow back after they've been damaged. So that doesn't that doesn't correlate with a, a neurological injury. It much more correlates with a zinc deficiency. Yeah. So that's a, a, another good one. Yeah. So that, you know, the pumpkin seeds will help with, with the health of, of the uh, uterine health and uh, making sure that we've got everything we need to keep those parts of the body healthy and safe. It's about so, a complete body approach, isn't it? looking at every system rather than looking at this each system in isolation looking at every system as feeding one into the other so that you create a whole picture of health mm -hmm. yeah so just before we finish simon i want to ask you one question now a lot of our listeners might be thinking well that's all well and good but you know being healthy is actually really expensive Okay, <laughs> one of the one of the best things that you can use um, at the moment for for immunity is go out with a with a basket to anywhere you can go where there's um, weeds growing. Um, you don't want the flowers, but um, stinging nettles are a wonderful source of zinc for immunity, and you can chop them into salads. Obviously, wear gloves when you pick them, and don't go for anywhere where there's cars going by. And the other thing that is a great source of um, inexpensive leaves, which is really good for liver health, is actually dandelion leaves, which you can chop into a salad. Mm. And nobody's going to charge you for those. Mm. So those are two things you could be doing to um, help your body cope better at zero or, or low cost. I mean, another thing is, one of the things I um, do a lot of is I sprout 
broccoli seeds mm -hmm. and sprouted baby broccoli seeds are absolutely delicious and very very easy to grow mm. so that's something people might want to be thinking of doing and they're a re really good source of apparently each broccoli sprout has got all the goodies in of a whole head of broccoli wow. so it's a way that you can throw that into a salad yeah. um without and it's organic grown in your own kitchen in a jam jar you don't need a you don't even need a window ledge to grow it on you can grow it in a jam jar in the kitchen that's Again, something we could get the kids curious. doing yeah that's it getting the whole family involved being curious looking at ways that you can find foods that are densely packed with nutrients and um, absolutely eating them so simon it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you you're so inspiring i love your voice i love i'm very tuned into voices because i'm a singing teacher as well as doing oh thank well. you i'm afraid i can't sing that's one thing i mean i do sing but not in public because well i say that i sing to my granddaughter um, <laughs> my daughter phones me when she's feeding her so i entertain her to she doesn't notice the food going in so that works well Anyway, oh. it's been such fun talking to you i'm really thrilled that you invited me it's been amazing and i hope that people have have learnt or have yeah. got something of value how uh, can people find out about you simone i know you've got a website and how do you work what do you do do you give consultations to people? yeah i can do it on zoom or over the phone it's easy peasy i just get people to keep a diary of what they eat and then we go through and do food, food planning and tweaking mm. their their program and you know, and you educate out. them based on what they need, based on their symptoms. Yeah, and their preferences and what they like to eat, if they've got health issues. Mm. I mean, I'm working with a number of people who are on, uh, who've got uh, um, you know, gastric reflux and people who've got problems with, um, uh, uh, they need to be on a low FODMAP diet because they're yeah. struggling with, with uh, things of that nature. Oh, so... Yeah. Um, IBS and uh, so on. So that's something I'm, I know an awful lot about and I can help people with that again inexpensively. So we're going to put your website in the show notes, but just for people, it's longevityworks.com. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. All right, Simon, I'm going to let you go because I can hear something buzzing in the background. So as you can tell there, Simon's phone was doing that siren thing once it's been left off the hook for an hour. <laughs> so our goodbye was a little bit rushed. But anyway, I do hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And let me know if there's anything that you're going to take action on as a result of what you've learned from Simon. Just drop me an email, info at sallygarazzo.com, or you can send me a direct message on any of my social media channels. Um, Facebook is at Sally Garozzo Mind Mentor, and so is Instagram. All right, I will see you next week. Bye for now.